You kick up the leaves and the magic is lost Tell me your blue skies fade to grey Tell me your passion's gone away And I don't need no care none You stand in the line just to hit a new low You're faking a smile with the much. And uh, God, I ask, Lord, that um, as we just get into the rest of Esther, Father, um, that you would just, uh, just enlighten us to what we need to hear, Father. So this is what we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all that agree said? 
So before I, I jump into the rest of Esther, some of you guys might have not been here with us, so I'm going to kind of go over some of the things that we have been talking about. Sound good? So the first thing is this, the book of Esther um, does not actually have the word God in it at all. So um, what we decided to do is we're going to pick Esther so that we can be politically correct for our Christmas services. Sound good? So if they don't want us to say Christmas and they want us to say holiday, all that kind of stuff, um, we're going to jump into a book that has all that, but still has salvation, still has the theme of who God is and his love and his laws and all that kind of good stuff. So the first week when we talked about that, we came up with this statement. This statement says this, political correctness and offense is by no means justification to compromise the truth of scripture and God. That makes sense? We're going to be, and, and through that, we started to look at a couple um, people in the scriptures. And those people starts to be King Xerxes. Um, and uh, if you guys want to know his Hebrew name, is Asherah or um, Or something along lines like that. So, um, but, it's a, but in history, he's known as King Xerxes. And um, he had a wife, uh, Vashti. She was uh, killed or she was exiled from uh, Persia because um, she wouldn't dance naked in front of him and all of his friends. Ooh, so mean. Um, <laughs> So, uh, so he like exiled. But the problem was, is he was drunk when all this was going on. So when he actually came to his right mind, he was really upset um, that his people would allow him to make such a harsh decision. Does that make sense? So you're supposed to protect me. And he's like, you're not supposed to get drunk. And he's like, whatever. Like, so it was like this bad scene going on in the beginning of Esther. Everybody with me? Okay, now um, the, the rest of it is uh, we also started to look at Mordecai, um, who is one of the king's somebodies that sits at the gate. I say somebodies because we don't know who he technically or what he technically does um, there. But we do know because where he sits at the gate that he sits at, um, he's somebody that kind of helps out the king when the king needs help. Did that make sense? And then we also have his cousin who they become uncle. He takes, he basically um, becomes her father. Um, he adopts her and um, her name is Myrtle, but then it's changed to Esther, um, which means the star. Does that make sense? So we're still going to follow a star in our Christmas story. Yeah? Yes. They never gave up on the political correctness of the time. They never basically bowed down. They always said, who, who, like, basically who God is. But you don't have to walk around and shout out, like, you know what I mean? Like, political correctness doesn't mean you got to walk around town going, I'm a Christian, watch me pray. Like, you know what I mean? That's not, I don't know where anybody got that. See, even in, the, in, 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 this, in this excerpt from the scriptures, what we see is even Mordecai tells Esther, he says, don't tell anybody who you are. It's, it's no need. You don't have to walk around and be like, I'm Jewish, hi, like, you know what I mean? Just be you. And if it gets brought up, then it gets brought up and then you share. I'm not telling you to lie. I'm not telling you to deceive anybody. All I'm saying is be you. And hopefully when they see who you are, they'll recognize that you serve someone greater. That makes sense? That, that, that was like the first week. The second week, um, we, uh, the next thing up there, bam. Um, it says this, Mordecai and Esther, what we found out is they maintained an unshakable confidence that God protected them, not to grant them special privileges, but to impose special responsibilities. So many times, I think in Christianity and stuff, we believe that we have special like privileges or things should happen for us because of who we are or where we live. And that's just not the case. The reality is, is because you're a Christian, you have special responsibilities, did that make sense? You have special responsibilities to take care of people around you. 
Did that make sense? This is why Christians are known for helping the poor and helping these type of people out. Why? Because it's our job. Those are responsibilities that were bestowed on us when we said yes and amen to God. Did that make sense? Esther and Mordecai realized, seeing the way that things were kind of playing out in the palace, things started happening. If you don't know the story of Esther at this point, Esther was uh, basically kidnapped and, and put into basically um, this beauty contest. I know they make it sound so nice and neat, it's, but it was more than just a beauty contest. And because I see there's uh, little ones in the room, um, there was something else going on. <laughs> You know. Okay, so um, that was something else happening there. And so it was, it was more along the lines of trafficking than it was anything else. Did that make sense? And at the end, you get to be in the palace and you are either in the harem of, of the king or the one special person gets to be the queen. Does that make sense? And that became Esther. Okay, everybody with me on this one? Then last week, uh, oh, by the way, they got put there and she, that's where she realized I have special responsibilities. I'm not just privileged. Make sense? Everybody still tracking? We're good? Okay, move forward. Um, then last week we said this, many have been called or invited, but will you choose to live the calling God gave you? This was this idea last week where it says this, for such a time as this you were born. Um, this is what Mordecai says to Esther. And the reason he says this to Esther is because there's another guy that comes into play. His name is Haman. And Haman says, I don't like Jewish people. And therefore, because I don't like this one guy named Mordecai who sits at the front gate and will not bow to me, I don't like him. Therefore, I don't like anybody uh, of his race. Or, uh, uh, and so therefore, he's going to wipe everybody out. Does that make sense? Makes a decree, gets, uh, gets the king to sign off on it. And now, um, on a certain day, they're going to wipe out all of the Jewish people. Sound good? It's a genocide. Everybody with me? So this genocide is about to happen. Mordecai basically rips off all of his clothes, puts on a potato sack, and sits in ashes and puts ashes on his head and sits at the king's gate where, Mor uh, where Haman has to see him every single day. And the reason he's doing this is to basically, that's his protest, if you will, against the genocide that's about to come to him and his people. Esther, who is the queen, is what? A Jew. Nobody knows that. So that means even her... She will be killed on that day, and, 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 and Haman has no idea what happened. And now Xerxes the king has no idea that he signed a decree to basically kill his wife again. Does that make sense? So, um, so Mordecai says, you were born for such a time as this. This is your moment. And so many times in your life, um, you have these opportunities where God is sitting there saying, I put you in this day and age. I put you around the right people at the right time. For such a time as this, I brought you here. Would you stand up for me? And so many times we just deny that calling that God's put on our lives. And then Esther comes back and she uh, sends one more uh, word to, uh, to Mordecai. And she says, I will do what you ask. Um, but if I, uh, and if I die, I die. If I perish, I perish. And um, so we had this last thing from Alexander Hamilton. If you don't stand, oh, it goes, you make one more. Here we go. If you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. And I think we've heard that before. Does that make sense? And so basically where we left off uh, last week at the end of chapter four, what we have is Esther asking all of her, um, all of the Jewish people in in the Providence to basically um, to fast. It never says pray. In case you guys cared, which I think is very interesting, it never says pray. It says fast for me. 
Does that make sense? Everybody with me on this one? So today, this is what I hope we learn. This is what we're going for today, and then I'm going to jump into the story. Ready? Boom. The next slide says, there are consequences to the choices we make, and we are accountable to the words we say. Does that make sense? Well, and you're like, where's that going? You will find out. Are you ready? It is biblical accounts with Craig Hamilton. I am not going to read this to you because you would all fall asleep. So I am going to give you guys a story. So it's like story time with Craig. Is that okay with everybody? Yeah? If it's not okay with you, we love you. Have a wonderful day. Thanks for showing up. Uh, <laughs> here's how it works. Um, Chapter 5 starts off, it says three days later. And the reason why it's three days later is because they asked, uh, she asked to fast for three days. And what she's doing, she's working up the courage to go into the courts of the king. If you walk into the courts of the king and you are uninvited, it is an automatic death sentence right then and there. Are you guys with me on this one? It does not matter who you are. If he did not call you, you are not allowed to be there. Sound good? Yes? Awesome. So Esther is working up the will and the courage to go in there. Now, why is she going in there? Well, she's going to plead for her life, don't you think? And the life of what? Her family and basically friends. Like, you cannot do this. Now, here's, here's how it works out. And I just find this to be fascinating. So she walks up. She gets herself all prettied up, okay? And from what the scripture says, she's really, really, really pretty, okay? So she gets really, really pretty, and then she kind of like floats through the king's court. Does that make sense? Like, hey, what you doing? Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, I, like I want you to get this imagery in your head. Like, he's sitting up, like hanging out with like his generals or whoever he's hanging out with, and they're laughing, and they're having a good time, and all of a sudden, out of the corner of his eye, she doesn't just like walk up and be like, hey, what's up? Like, you know what I mean? Like, and some of you guys, you know, if you're married and that happens, that is not good. It doesn't matter if it's the, if it's the, the husband or the wife. Anytime one of you walks in the room and says, hey, and you're like, uh-oh. Yeah. See, at that moment, the king's like, get her. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, so she doesn't do that. She does like this, like this, this thing. I want us to get in, like, an imagery in her head of her getting all made up, and she's just kind of walking like through the col like the columns. Like, I wonder if he can see me, you know? And then out of the corner of his eye, he's like, "Girl, what you doing?" <laughs> and then he holds out the scepter. I just think this is the funniest thing because it's like it's like your wife. You know what I mean? Could you imagine if you were in the living room and like your wife came in and you're like, "Hmm." And you have to hold out the scepter so she doesn't die? <laughs> I, I just, it just, it's funny to me. I don't know why the imagery in my head is, is funny. So I, I imagine this, like, and so he's like, oh, girl. And he, like, holds out the scepter, and she has to come and touch the edge of the scepter, and then she wouldn't die. Does that make sense? So I just imagine, like, she's walking in, like, you know, playing, like, hide-and-go-seek, and, like, all the guards are like, what do we, do, what, do, do we kill her? Like, what do we, like, what do we do? Like, it's the queen, like, you know what I mean? And, like, they're looking at the king, and he's like, oh, girl, uh, like, you know what I mean? She comes up, and she touches it, and he's like, you look good today. <laughs> Thanks. He's like, what do you want? Whatever you want, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. I'll give you up to half of my kingdom. It's yours. What do you want? Nothing. I just, I just want you to go to dinner with me tonight. Will you go to dinner with me tonight? Check that. I'm about to die. And I'm inviting him to dinner. That is her biggest request. Does that make sense? The big request is, will you go to dinner with me tonight? 
Oh, by the way, the guy that you put in charge of everybody and he's like your right-hand man, you know, Haman? Yeah, can he come too? I just want the two of you guys there. I just want to do a dinner for you guys. Is that okay? He's like, shoot, girl, you know. (laughs) Go get Haman. Let's do this, right? So this is it. Here's what I want us to catch, though, in in this moment. So many times I, I, I wonder, uh, like, and he, the big word here is relationship. Did that make sense? So many times I think we forget about relationship. And I think this walks into our prayer life. It walks into um, our relationship with our friends, with our family members. We forget about relationship. We take it for granted. Does that make sense? She does not walk in, look at her husband and say, you better not kill me. I will come after you. I will haunt this place like you wouldn't believe. Like, you know what I mean? That's not what she does. She walks in and she goes, I just want you to have dinner with me tonight. Why? Because I want to remind you of who I am. Did that make sense? Like, it's not coming in and making a demand. It's coming in and saying, I just want to have a relationship with you. Now, does she have kind of an agenda? Of course she does. There's something else there. But the reality is I have to recognize relationship is better than that. Did that make sense? And the second thing on that, um, we have to also start to remember this. Preparation and planning is important. Especially as Christians, I don't know what it is. Some Christians just have like, like the fly by the seat of their pants like, like mentality where it's like, I don't know what God's doing. I'm just going to follow and do whatever he wants. What does he want you to do? I don't know. We're going to find out tomorrow. <laughs> so what are you going to do right now? I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to sit here. Well, that sounds like God. <laughs> but does that make sense? And, and, I, and, I, and, I'm not, and, I, and I say these things because I just want to be real with you guys. There's never a place in the scriptures where God calls you away from something and doesn't give you a place to go. Does that make sense? Most people are like, you know, like when they leave churches, they leave ministries, and they leave this type of stuff, they don't ever have a plan. They just go, you know, I just don't want to do this anymore. I believe that the Lord is asking me to leave. Oh, where are you going? I don't know. I'm just supposed to listen. <laughs> then don't leave. Why would you go outside of the, 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 the safety of a church and of a ministry to go do something where you're not doing anything? And by the way, did you know that most people that do that never plug themselves back into a ministry for years? And they wonder why their life looks like crud. Does that make sense? Like, we got to make sure that we recognize that there is a plan and a purpose to what God has for us. And I believe within Esther, you see this. She doesn't come in and demand. She comes in and she has a plan. She has a purpose. She knows one thing that her husband likes. Parties and drinking. Right? So, what does she do? Let's have a dinner. They go to dinner. Haman is the only one that is invited to this dinner. So, I want us to now start to picture this. He doesn't know that she went to the king. Are you guys with me on this one? The king knows because he was there. Okay? So he just invites. He's like, go get Haman. We are doing dinner. So Haman's like calling up his wife like, I'm going to dinner with the king and the queen. This can only get better for me. Does that make sense? Like, he's already at the peak of who he's supposed to be. Like, in the kingdom, you can't get any higher except for the king. He is like, like cloud nine, and now he gets to go to dinner with just the king and the queen. Yay. <laughs> I went, get into his mindset. Like, let's just be real. It's like your boss calling you up and be like, listen, I just want you to come to dinner with us, with us you know? And then you'd be like, seriously, we're going to go to dinner? Because you know this, nobody fires you at dinner. 
right? So you know that nobody's going to fire you. You know something, oh, maybe, maybe they're going to give me a bonus. Maybe something's, maybe they want me to like be partners in this whole thing. So you're sitting there when you get invited to dinner and it's just them, something good's about to happen. Does that make sense? Everybody with me? So that's what's happening. So Haman walks in and they have this nice dinner and they're sitting there and it actually literally says that, um, that, that Xerxes, the king, was hitting the wine a little too much. And what does he do? He leans over to Esther. He's like, come on, girl, just tell me what you want. Like, why did you do this? Like, I already love you. What's up? And she's like, well, if you really want to know, Will you just have another dinner with me tomorrow? And can Haman come again? Because this is just so much fun. <laughs> Dude, second time. How many of us have the, 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 the patience to sit back and just say, now's my chance? No, it wasn't her chance. You want to know why? And I believe that, and, and full on this is a Craig Hamilton theology opinion. Does that make sense? I believe she wanted to ask him that night. I believe that she realized that she couldn't because of the state that he, he was in. Does that make sense? Because I believe that she was going to do it. I don't think she was planning a second dinner. But when he got tossed, it was like, mm, I can't ask him now. This isn't going to work now. So I'm going to hold off and I'm going to invite you to another dinner when you're basically in your right mind. But do you notice how she doesn't say any of that? All she looks at him and says, just do me a favor. Can you come to dinner with me one more time tomorrow? And Haman's like, and I'm invited? This is awesome. Like, you know what I mean? Like, in his mind, he's like, this is great. And so he's on cloud nine. Everybody goes to bed, but Haman, Haman has to go home. So he gets on his, like, his, like, little horse. or It was probably not little. It's big horse. Like, you know what I mean? He gets on his horse, and he starts riding outside. And in order to go home, everybody has to leave the king's gate. Does that make sense? Now, who's at the king's gate? Mordecai. Now, Mordecai is still in sackcloth and ash, and he will not stand or sit or rise. He will not even acknowledge Haman because of the, the treacherous things that Haman has done against his people. Does that make sense? So he's like, like Haman's cloud nine. He's riding his horse home. You know what I mean? He's like, yeah. And he walks out the gate and he looks over to his left. I'm just assuming the left. Um, so he looks over and he's like, and he sees Mordecai and they lock eyes. This is where I get like, you know, when you're like super happy and you're like, dude, nothing's going to bring me down. And then you're driving home and somebody cuts you off. <laughs> Instant rage. For what reason? I don't know. It's not like they cut you off. You're like, nope, you ain't going to bring me down. And then another person does it. You're like, that's it. Life is bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you, you know what I'm saying here? Like, this is it. He is like riding his horse home. He looks over to the left and he's just like, everything that was shiny and gold is now just, <laughs> thanks, Mordecai. I really don't like you. So in order to make Haman feel better about himself, Instead of going straight home, he rounds up all of his men, all of his friends, and then he goes home to uh, his wife, Zeresh, which we should bring that name back because awesome, right? <laughs> Zeresh, that's, sorry, that's a, that's a power name for the ladies. I just think, you know, Zeresh, you can't, ah, oh, let's just think about it. Think of all these things. Zeresh is a good name. Anyways, so Zeresh is, is there, he gets home and he goes, you know what I want to do with you guys? This is Haman. He's just, I was having a really good day today. I'm going to let you all know. The king and the queen invited me just to a dinner by myself. They love me. Like God, like, excuse me, not God. But things are so good for me right now. Like look at all the stuff that I have. Look how rich I am. And I just, 
Who hangs out with a guy like that? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I have, like I've known people like that, and then they just kind of like, I don't want to go to your house in the middle of the night. This is not cool. Just to hear how cool you are. And you don't share. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like maybe if he shared, maybe that's why. Maybe he's a good sharer. I don't know. Like, you know what I mean? And, and so anyways, he's like sharing all of this stuff. And then he gets to the point, he goes, and then all this stuff happened. He goes, and then I walked out. And there was Mordecai. I hate that guy. <laughs> and so his friends, because friends always give the best advice. <laughs> by the way, in the scripture, there's never good advice given by a friend. I don't think anywhere. Um, maybe one place, but I don't know if that's good advice. So um, they looked at him and they said, well, if you don't like this guy so much at all, like if you don't like him and you have that much hatred for him, why don't we go outside, stop talking about you, and build, that's Craig's version, sorry, um, uh, and build a gallow 75 feet high. That's seven and a half stories tall. That's a big pole. Now, a gallow is not what you're thinking. It's not one of those things where you're like, oh, it's like a rope that comes down and you hang somebody from it, like the gallows, like, you know what I mean? Not, not at this time period. In this time period, a gallow was just a really sharp toothpick. And they would just drop you on it. Yeah, there you go. See, that's the, that's the reaction they wanted. <laughs> Don't mess with us or we'll drop you on one of these. Does that make sense? And this one, they're like, let's make it 75 feet high. So when you put Mordecai on it, the whole realm will see what's about to happen. This is a great idea. And Haman is like, I love this. I love this. Now, instead of sleeping, let's go build one of these bad boys. Now, I don't know where he gets all the equipment at in that night to go and do that, but he is like building away on this 75-foot gallow, and then his friends tell him, here's what we want you to do. I want you to go to work early tomorrow morning. Go to work early tomorrow morning. Be the first person that the king has to see, and when this king sees you, tell him that Mordecai is this horrible person and that you need to put him on a gallow. And that you've already made one and it's, and it's ready to go. And so Haman is like, I can't get better than this. This is awesome. I'm going to get rid of my enemy. My friends love me. And tomorrow night, I still get to eat with the queen and the king. Amen. Yeah, right? That's the end of chapter 5. Chapter 6 starts up. And this is like, if you're wondering why we called this series The Wonder... It's because you have to look at the coincidences that are in these type of situations. You can't get better than this. See, while Haman is at home hanging out with his buddies and building a big old 75-foot gallow, the king is having nightmares. He's tossing and turning in his bed. He can't get to sleep. So he wakes up and he calls in his royal eunuchs and he says, I need a bedtime story. It's the best way I can put it. Now, what he's really asking for is when this happens, they usually bring in what they call the, the, the book of the Chronicles, which is basically things that take place um, every day in the kingdom or things that are huge, uh, of huge significance in the kingdom. And so he's like, I need a bedtime story. I need something to make me feel good so therefore I can go back to sleep. And so it's, 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 it's really um, late at night or early morning, however you want to see it. And, and what happens is, is they start reading. And they start reading about this man named Mordecai. Now, if you guys don't remember the very beginning of the entire book, see, Mordecai actually saves the king 
because there were two royal eunuchs that were going to assassinate him. He heard the plot where he was sitting. He went and he told Esther. Esther told the king. The king uh, takes those guys, finds out the plot was real, kills those guys, and guess what? In the very in, in, in chapter one, we realize, or chapter two, excuse me, we realize he gets no props for this. It was like pat on the back. You're good. Thank you. Right? That was it. And I, and I mentioned back, back then, sometimes we think we deserve more than what we, really, what we really deserve. Does that make sense? And we get angry and get frustrated, and the rest of our life becomes anger and bitter. We have anger and bitterness in our hearts. Why? Because we think we deserve something that we actually really didn't deserve. But I knew the rest of the story, because here's the rest of the story. So he didn't get anything. The king is getting his bedtime story, talking about this guy named Mordecai that sits at the king's gate. He saved him from these things. And, and the king looked at him and he said, he goes, what did we ever do for this man? It's not recorded. And the eunuchs looked at him and they said, we did nothing for him. And the king was like blown up. He was like, this man saved my life and we did absolutely nothing for him? He goes, that just can't be. That just can't be. He goes, he goes, is, is, is there any of my royal princes in, 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 the, in the court right now? And sure enough, when he says, is there any of my royal princes in the court right now? Remember Haman was going to come bright and early to work? He is the very first person to walk through the king's gate. And they go, oh my gosh, Haman just showed up. Or Haman just showed up. Bring him in here. Get him in here. So, so Haman, was, he was called into the, uh, the king's court. Now here's what you have to recognize. Hammond's like sitting there going, I hate Mordecai. I'm going to put him on a gallow. I'm going early to work. How am I supposed to talk to the king? Because I don't get, a, I don't get an audience with the king unless he holds out his scepter, right? So how am I going to talk to the king? He walks through the, the king's gate. Haman, the king wants to see you. You can't get better than that. <laughs> the gods have a line. Like, you know what I mean? Like, everything's ready. She's like, Seriously? Seriously, I want you to go see the king. He's like, this is so easy. My life is amazing. <laughs> like, right? So he comes in, and I have to read this to you because I can't make this stuff up, okay? So I want to read this to you. This is, this is um, from uh, chapter 6, and this is what it says. It says this, when Haman entered, the king, uh, uh, when Haman entered, the king said, what would be appropriate for the man the king highly wants to honor? Think about it. He's walking in. He wants. He called me into the court, and his first question to me: What should I do with somebody that I want to honor and to show my gratitude for? Right? Hammond thought to himself, he must be talking about honoring me. Who else? Right? So he answered the king. This is what he would do for himself. Are you guys with me on this one? Humanism is great. Okay. For the man uh, the king delights to honor, do this. Bring a royal robe that the king has worn and a horse that the king has ridden with a royal crown on its head. Then give the robe and the horse to one of the king's most noble princes. Have him robe the man whom the king whom the king especially wants to honor. Have the prince lead him on horseback through the entire city square, proclaiming before him, this is just what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor. Go and do it, said, uh, uh, the king said to Haman, and don't, 
waste another minute. Take the robe, the horse, and do what you have proposed to Mordecai, the Jew who sits at the king's gates. Don't leave a single detail out of your plan. So you had a bad day. <laughs> I, I, I just, I, I, I want you, because I believe we've all been there before, I want you to have the feelings of just absolutely being crushed by something. Your emotions, your feelings, everything, just absolutely crushed. Because now I can't even ask the king to do what I was called, what I was, what I, why I came here to do. I can't even do that because if I did, it would be the absolute opposite. Hi, I want to kill Mordecai. And the king's like, mm, I want to put him on a horse. <laughs> like, does that make sense? Like, I want us to get into that mindset of, 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 of Haman completely just feeling uh, just crushed. And now here's the next thing, and, and here's, here's the next part. I'll just wrap up the, the rest of uh, this part. It says, so Haman took the robe and the horse, and he, uh, he robed Mordecai and led him through the city square, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man whom the king especially wants to honor. Then Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but, next slide, Haman fled to his house, uh, thoroughly mortified, hiding his face. I, I, I want us, you can go to the next slide, by the way. Um, this is a, a, a painting uh, from the Renaissance of, of, of Haman and Mordecai. And I was sitting here, and, and I got this thing. I, I just imagine um, Mordecai, because you've got to get the, the scene. Mordecai is still in sackcloth, and he's sitting in ash. And all of a sudden, his enemy... His enemy, the one he can't stand, comes up to him and says, Mordecai, get up. I want to honor you. And in his sackcloth, he throws a robe around him and puts him up on a horse, the king's horse, and starts proclaiming to everybody, this is what happens when the king wants to honor you. I have a question. There is no possible way Mordecai is happy. Does it not feel like a mockery? His people are still going to get annihilated. Does this make sense? And then I started thinking about Haman. There is no way he can be happy. But he has everything. He's got wealth. He's got position. He's got everything that in the world that you could ask for. And yet, one person controls his life. And he cannot be happy because of one person. Does this make sense? You take away that one person and everything's beautiful. Everything's fine. Everything's dandy. But one person controls his life? So then, uh, the dichotomy of this picture right here. Two men in royalty. None of them happy. Right? So this is, what I, this is what my thought process was. When I, when it, when, next slide. It says, uh, even in their triumph, uh, triumph positions, neither of them can obtain happiness. And I thought, isn't this life? Isn't this our life? If you start to think about your life, we have these moments where it's like, everything's good, everything's grand. Why am I not happy? I have a wife. I have some kids. They're healthy. They're alive. Why am I not happy? 
I may be divorced, but I, I, I'm still living. I have a job and my kids still love me or whatever. Why, why am I not happy? Or, hey, you know, it just seems like things are out of control. I can't pay my house payment. I can't pay my car payments. You know what I mean? And things just seem really bad, but my, my kids are happy. My wife is happy. Why can't I be happy? Does that make sense? It doesn't matter where you're at. You could be like Haman and be super rich and be like, nothing's wrong. Why can't I be happy? Or you could be like Mordecai where everything's falling apart and your whole race is going to die, basically. And you're like, and I'm in royalty right now. Why can't I be happy? Why can't I enjoy my moment? Did that make sense? And I just started thinking about this. And, and I started thinking about just us in life. How do we get through that? Because this is life. Listen, people are born, people die. Accidents happen. Health is horrible sometimes, and sometimes health is amazing. But what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to find basically joy in this, or in this case, happiness for our lives? And so I, I was, uh, we actually had the, uh, this, this conversation uh, this week with some of our staff people, and just asking the question, how do we do that? Because grief is real, right? So how do we do that? And so we kind of came up with this thought process. This was the next thought process. Would it be possible to obtain happiness if we embraced our brokenness, acknowledged the pain, hurt, joy, and love in our lives, and become honest with ourselves and to those that cared about us? What would it look like? What kind of culture would that be where we look at each other and we say, look, I get it, I'm not happy. But you don't have to walk around asking the same person a thousand times, you know, hey, what's wrong? What's wrong? What's wrong? And if you've ever been in that position, you just want to punch the third person. Right? First person, then it's okay. Second person, okay, it's okay. Third person, I'm done. Right? Are you okay? Are you okay? What's wrong? It's okay that I don't look happy. It's okay that I don't look joyful. But you know what? I'm going to embrace some of that brokenness. I'm going to embrace some of that hurt. And I'm just going to be real with you. Things are not okay in my life. Does that make sense? Things are okay in my life. And then what is our job? Our job is to help embrace that with them. That's exactly what the scripture says. Embrace it with them. What happens if we started being honest with ourselves when we look in the mirror and we say, why am I not happy right now? Why is there no joy in my life? And then really honest, get, a, get an honest look at who we are. And then, because let's just be real, we're people of community. Does that make sense? Somebody's about to come into your life. At that moment when you're staring in the mirror and you're like, man, why can't I just be happy? And you're thinking about it and you're like, you're right. I just, I'm not happy because of A, B, C, and D. The next thing is somebody's going to walk in because that's how God plans it always. Maybe it's your spouse walks in. Hey, what are you doing? Are you okay? What are you thinking about? Nothing. <laughs> because we're not honest with the people around us. And because we're not honest with the people around us, we don't have a chance to take care of you. We don't have a chance to step in and partner with you and carry some of that load with you. Does that make sense? See, what we start to see in, in the scriptures with Mordecai and Esther and Haman and Xerxes, we start to see somebody that is hold, withholding things and we see somebody that is actually releasing things for people to help. Does that make sense? Mordecai is sitting there and he's embraced his brokenness. He's acknowledged his pain and his hurt. And he said, you know what? My protest is I'm sitting here. Does that make sense? I'm sitting here in ash and cloth, and I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to fast, and I'm going to cry out. Usually, 
in my head, if you're doing that and you're a Jewish person, you're crying out to God. Does that make sense? It doesn't say that in the scriptures because it doesn't mention God or prayer in the scripture. It just mentions that he's sitting there. So if he's doing that, I believe he's crying out to his God. And what does God do? Here's his cries and says, Mordecai, stand up. I'm going to show you what I'm about to do, but I'm not going to tell you. How does he show him? He puts a robe around him. Lifts him up off of the ground, puts him on a horse, and his enemy becomes his footstool. Did that make sense? Yeah. How do you get up on the horse? Hey, Haman, I need help getting up on the horse. <sighs> do you know what I'm saying? That's a footstool. I'm about to do this. So here's the thing. I don't know if Mordecai is happy or not. It doesn't say in the scriptures. But I do believe if you are recognizing, you start to see um, the world through God's eyes. He's sitting here saying, I see that you're working, God. I see that you're doing something. And my cries are being heard. And not only that, but it's not just with Mordecai. Who's doing all this? The entire province, the entire kingdom of Jewish people are sitting down in ash and wearing sackcloth. And together they are crying out to God. And they have an ally in the palace already. Does that make sense? Yeah. I tell you this because this verse came up to my, to, to my heart and mind. Move on to the next the, 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 the thing. Woo. Though the fig trees should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. This is like the worst farming experience ever. Does that make sense? I got nothing. Everything. Food gone. Vines gone. Uh, flocks gone. Everything's gone. Yet... I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like, a deer, like the deer and he makes me tread on high places. Why is that not the way that we think? Did that make sense? Not sitting down and just saying, mm, life is horrible, I'm done. But to sit back and say, even though life's horrible, I will still sing to my God. I will still praise his name. I'm still going to do it. Why? Because one day he's going to show up. And when he shows up, I'm not going to miss it. I'm going to be ready. And he's going to place me in high places. And I will not back down from that. And I will have a faith in that till the day I die. Because in the day that I die, he will then take me on higher, higher places. And he will seat me with him. Did that make sense? Death is not a punishment. Does that make sense? Death is basically a promotion. And we just don't realize that at all. Why? Because we're so busy being Haman and thinking about ourselves. We got to get to a place where we rise up and be who we're called to be. Amen? Amen. So... I go back to my original statement, what are we talking about today, which is this. Jump back to that verse, or that thing, the consequences. Oh, no, no, one more. I'll get to that. Good job, Christine. Um, there are consequences to the choices we make, and we are accountable to the words that we say. Do you guys get this now? Mordecai can sit there and he's accountable to everything. Band, you can start coming up on stage. Okay? Um, here's what happens. Mordecai is accountable to basically his choices. Did he have to get in sackcloth and ash? No. But you know what sackcloth and ash did? It stirred Haman, or Haman to do what Haman needed to do. 
Does that make sense? It stirred him because every time he'd walk out the gate, he would see Mordecai in sackcloth and ash and sitting there going, man, I hate that guy, which, which starts an entire move of what God wants to do. Did that make sense? We're accountable to our actions. You can either follow God or not through your actions, through the choices that you make. Did that make sense? And the last thing is this. We are accountable to the words that we say. Did you guys know that in scriptures, it says the one thing that we're going to be judged more harshly on than anything else is the careless words that we say? Did you know that that is a huge thing to God, is what we say? So I look at Esther in this story. She's accountable to the words that she said and her actions obviously all mixed together. And what did she do? She walks into the king's palace and she says, will you have dinner with me? Not will you release my people or will you let my people go or anything like that. It was very simple. Will you have dinner with me? Why? Because there's relationship in dinners. There's relaxation when it comes to eating and food. And there's, there's a time to really think about things. Did you know most of us make random deals with God in our times of distress? They're deals that we cannot fulfill. But guess what? Did you know when you say a promise to God or you make a plea to God, he, he expects you to fulfill it? Did that make sense? So in your distress, make sure you recognize what you're saying to the Lord. Make sure you recognize what you're saying to others. This is why we need to be able to carry the burden with one another. Did this all make sense? The last thing is this is what Christine said, and I just found it to be very fun and awesome. When we're talking, at the end of the day, it says this, we must always remember God is working even if we can't see it. God is working even if we can't see it. Do you have that faith? Do you recognize no matter where you're at right now, whether you're on a, a high high right now or whether maybe things aren't going very well, are you sitting there saying, I know my God's got it all. He's got a plan and a purpose for me. And I'm going to chase it. Amen? I feel like there's something else that I'm supposed to say. Um, I have to say it because it's, I just really feel like the Lord's put it on my heart. Make sure that you see what God's providing for you. I have this image of, of, of so many of us God's trying to lift us up like he's giving you the robe. He's giving you the horse. He's even giving you your enemy. And you're sitting there going, no, I don't want it. Because right now I just want to be sad. I think sometimes we got to get to a place where we recognize we've got to let God lift us up. Does that make sense? Don't deny what the Lord is giving you. Don't ignore what the Lord is, is providing just because you think you don't deserve it doesn't mean that God doesn't want to give it to you. Yeah, that's it. So Father, we just love you. And God, would you bless your sons and daughters. And in this time of worship, God, God, whether we're good or bad or wherever we're at in life, God, may we praise you, Father God, because we know one day you're going to set us on high places, Father God. We thank you for the story or the, the account of Esther and Mordecai. We thank you for, for the lessons that we're learning through this book, Father God. 
And so God, we will stay firm with who you are. We will stay firm and believe that you are at work right now in us and through us. And God, we will recognize what you're trying to give to us and we will move when it is time to move. So Father, we love you, we praise you, and we thank you. Would you bless our time of worship?